Welcome to Chase Your Dream, a podcast that believes that all dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. Each week we deliver the stories of a common person being successful by chasing the dream. I am your host Shoman. Today we have among us someone from US Tennessee. She is a licensed mental health therapist currently working with youth victims of crime. She is also a podcaster. The name of her podcast is Get Naked Therapist and the second podcast is Surviving Sibling Loss. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome LPC Krish. Krish, welcome to my show. So, tell me, uh you are a mental therapist. Tell me more about you. Our audience wants to know more. a licensed mental health therapist. I primarily work with youth, uh, with children 0 to 18 years old who have been victims of crime. So any crime from uh, assault to um, being witnesses of crime to sexual assault to just a, a very a robbery, burglary, that, that, those type things. I work with, uh, with them doing uh, counseling and doing processing, like debriefing with them. I've been doing that since 2005. Um, I graduated with my bachelor's in psychology in 2005 and then went back to grad school uh, in 20. Uh, 20, uh, 2008 and graduated in 2011 and from 2011 and forward I was working in different elementary schools, middle schools and some high schools um, just really preparing students to be in, in class those students who have behavior issues being able to work with them and their parents and their teachers to keep them from being expelled, suspended from school uh, or arrested from school. So just trying to really be an advocate and doing counseling, intervention, case management, um, risk assessments, those type things. I spent a lot of time or a few, well, a couple of years in there with adults, working with adults with severe mental health uh, illness. Um, and I've also worked in a medical clinic doing behavior health assessments. So I've, I've had a lot of jobs and have been around and a lot of people kind of you know say you have a lot of jobs but at the same time um that means i have a lot of different connections and i've worked so many different places and they're like oh yeah we remember so i can get your client in really fast so it works for me now perfect so what is heading you to pursue a career in counseling uh, what, what is it? Because I've always been a helper uh, in my family system. I was the baby of the family and uh, my brother passed in 1997 from, can- from cancer and my journey through grieving, um, I was one of those very quiet kids in high school, but I remember having a very, um, I really didn't like high school. And I wasn't a loud, boisterous kid, so I kind of just slid up under the radar. Um, 
and didn't get a lot of grief issues addressed. And so now that when, when I went to college, I wanted to be a pediatrician. And I got into chemistry class and couldn't pass chemistry. So then I got into psychology class and I decided to change my major. And my dad was very upset with me, but I changed my major to psychology and loved every bit of it. The only thing they don't tell you is after you graduate, it's hard for you to find a well-paying job with a psychology degree. So um, that process of having to learn after college that psychology really doesn't pay that well. And that's probably what my dad was trying to tell me, but I didn't listen. Uh, but I mean, we learned, so then ended up going to grad school and still had some very low paying type things. But at the same time, what really drove me was the fact that I could be able to meet youth where they were and to be able to help and assist and teach and all these different things that I've gotten to do um, where, you know, where there wasn't as much money, but at, at the same time, there was still this uh, this drive and this purpose that I was able to, to be able to hone into. And then I figured money will come later, you know? And uh, so that's where I, where I am. And that's the reason why I came into this into this field because it's all about passion for people. So if I ask you, what are the qualities that actually is now helping you out in this field? So what are those? One of the qualities is being an advocate for yourself, um, which at the very beginning I was not. Uh, those qualities of just being open to different experiences at one point when I was younger, I was not as open to different experiences as I am now uh, or being flexible. It was hard to be flexible. It was hard to keep changing different things. But now it's like an understanding that things won't be the same all the time and you have to continue to learn. So that is one of those things that I, I have learned throughout the years to be flexible. Also to be resilient and know that um, there will be times where you feel stuck and clients will feel stuck but there will be times where you just you feel unstuck all of a sudden you know but you just work through those things and i think um just be able to have that tenacity to to see it through see things through see projects and challenges through to the end um and then i think more like just the the resiliency of course um and then being adventurous, just taking a, a shot at, you know, things that might not make sense at, at the time, but just going for it. So those are those are some of the qualities, I think. So how do you approach counseling treatment? Uh, we have to do assessments, of, of course. I always start out with a safety conversation. So I want to know how they if if there's any issue with um suicidal thoughts or homicidal thoughts i want to know those things first i also want to know what the safety measure measures are prior to so i don't want to get into something and then i don't have especially when it comes to children they don't have anybody identified as their safe people whether that is in the school and I always tell them you know if we can't if we can't identify five people 
outside of our mom or dad or grandmom or somebody like that, then we can identify three safe people in our neighborhood, at school, that we can go to just in case something were to happen. Uh, and that's something that I always try to identify with even my grown people, that they're able to identify a safe person or a support somebody uh, just in case something were to happen. And somebody else needs to call 911 or somebody else needs to call uh, like a mobile health something. But that's how I start out doing assessments, uh, safety, talking about strengths, um, what they do well. Um, just having that conversation, a lot of times uh, young people don't recognize what they do well and just kind of pulling that out, uh, them understanding that counseling is confidential. We don't keep everybody's secrets, you know, safe unless they're in jeopardy of harming themselves or harming somebody else. And, um, and then that, that I know for myself that I'm not giving, I guess there's a jargon when people are so smart and they talk over people, you know? So just coming down to people's or coming at people's level and meeting them where they are and knowing that I'm not the expert truly on your life. I will help you navigate it, but I am not the expert. Don't rely on me completely because you actually have the answers and children, they might not have the answers, but we're going to navigate towards those things. So it's kind of how I approach it. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So what has been your greatest accomplishment so far? My greatest accomplishment so far, um, I think within the past two years, I got, I mean, I've been, I got my license. That took a long time to get for me to get my license because there's a, a vast array of things to do that you have to do from the testing, from uh, the hours, the clinical hours that you have to get. And with me having a lot of different jobs, you have to account for all of the supervision and counseling hours and all that stuff you have to account for for all the jobs and all the years. And then there's a timeline. If you don't get it done by a certain time, you have to start all over again. I did get licensed, but I think for for myself, um, I was able to train police officers on what trauma is to children. So, and what that looks like and why it's important for them to know that information. So I think that's some of my biggest accomplishment is talking to them because that's not what they do. Talking to them about what that looks like and why it's important for them to know. What you would have been if you are not a therapist? Would I be? (laughs) I would probably either be a, um, like, uh, a writer for commercials. What else I was thinking about? I I don't never, I think pediatrician is out of the door. I don't think I ever want to be back in medicine. No, but I think being a writer, a creator, somebody who travels a lot and writes all these travel magazine type things, I think that would be the person I would be. So, uh, now let us go to the student victimization. In US, are students safer in school or away from school? Both. Uh, There is um, 
what we call in-home trauma. So that can be domestic violence. That can be community violence when they go outside. Their community is not safe. Like we say, like Chicago or certain parts of the town. In school, you have bullying type situations and social media makes things a little bit more worse for our kids versus when I was in school. So we didn't have social media. We still had bullying, but we didn't have to worry about um, anything as far as like uh, pictures coming through and taunting people um, through social media and always constantly having to go through that Monday through Sunday, all day, every day. You know, we didn't have to worry about that. Usually if you were bullied, it was either on the school bus or it was on um, uh, at, at school and then you went home and that was it. You didn't see him anymore. But now you see him in school, on the bus, online, everywhere. And uh, so we've seen a lot of that in the school and it's caused a lot of different issues for our, for our kids. Um, some su- suicidal behaviors that we've seen more of now than we've ever seen or ever paid attention to. Um, so it, it can go both ways, either home or at school. So it's always good to have an advocate for children. Uh, there are some kids who act out behaviorally, and then there's some that was like me, and they're very internal. You wouldn't know what they were feeling like until something very big happens, and then they explode. So, yeah. So there is a differentiation between bullying and discrimination. So I think bullying is quite common, but dec- uh, discrimination is also happening nowadays. So yes. do you have any client into discrimination phase or something like that? Yes, yeah. Um, you have a lot of um, students who are um, of the LGBTQ population that you know kids are discriminating against them for their choice or their sexual orientation or the way they dress or present themselves because they just don't understand because it's different it makes them feel some type of way when they see the differences so um that that we've seen that now more than say when i was in school in high school 20 years ago um you don't see that you didn't see that a lot back then Um, because it wasn't allowed. And you also have discrimination against uh, people with disabilities. This is not a, this is not, I don't know about anywhere else, but in the United States, it's really not, um, I would say for people with disabilities, that is not something that people are thinking about on a regular basis, unless they know somebody personally who has a disability. So people who have disabilities really have a hard time with people understanding that it might not look like I have a disability, especially learning disabilities, but um, I definitely have one. I need people to be sensitive around that, especially teachers. If teachers are not trained in the way that um, is informed, then they can cause severe damage uh, when it comes to learning disability discrimination Um, discrimination against people's names. Uh, We see that a lot (laughs) when changing or remixing people's name because I I don't know how to spell it. I don't know how to say it. And I don't want to have time to learn to say it. And I feel either prideful or embarrassed to say your name, or I just don't want to know how to say your name, you know? 
that 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 right there is one of the very first discriminatory things that we have in our schools where people just kind of make fun of names that they can't pronounce so how does juvenile crime victimization vary on school days or on non school days how does it vary it i must speak for the area that i'm in it does not vary I think when school is in and you know there's been covid so school has been out since for us has been out since uh here we had tornadoes so the tornadoes came in the first part of march and so they were out for for march and then covid came a week after it so the kids have been out for a long time so that means that we don't have or we didn't have teachers or counselors or schools with an extra eye for the kids that needed so i would say that that put them in danger of being victimized and not having it reported um so i'm pretty sure that our reports are high when school is in because we do have extra people watching out for them but while school is out they pretty we still have them but it's pretty low uh, as far as reporting because we don't have a lot of adult or caretaker eyes on them which concerns us i mean we, we want them to be safe and uh, away from covid but we know that everybody's home or household is not safe so it it, it is our major concern right now and how this will at the after in covid how our kids are going to be when they're able to finally go to school like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support now back to the show so according to you what is the most common school crime i would say um assault when i was in school you had your old regular fight and there were times where okay we, you may have gotten suspended you may not you may be in school suspended but now you have arrest the police is involved you have all you know sometimes parents are involved we've had re- we've had reports of uh parents coming up to the school and threatening you know look kids and it sounds crazy but it happens all the time and <laughs> not handling it in a way that a parent should handle things so they come up and you know so uh assault i think would be one of the biggest ones in school uh that you see someone has you know put their hands on them or uh, threatened them so can you tell us some effects after effects rather of child abuse Uh some of the after effects is uh we call it you know the aces. So child abuse is one of those things that's an adverse childhood uh, experience. And child abuse can range from different things. So not feeding uh their children, neglecting, not buying them the necessary medication or even physically abusing someone, sexually abusing or locking people blocking their kids in cages or not giving them adequate sleep or uh supervision. So it's a wide range of things but the effects can last a lifetime. 
if uh, it's not addressed, it's not helped, it can last a long a lifetime. So some of those things are behavior issues, um, acting out behaviors, and it can lead to mental health diagnosis at a later age. It can lead into social issues. Uh, academic problems, being able to not being able to concentrate or memory issues, um, substance abuse and use at an early age, uh, unhealthy relationships. If somebody's always physically abusing me, then I feel like that's how people show love. So I won't. Um, I, I will have relationships that are unhealthy, whether that's a friendship or intimate relationships, and kind of repeating the cycle. Uh, when, they're, when they get grown, if they are grown, if they don't become victims themselves or suspects of something, um, they can turn around and not have healthy relationships with their own children. So it, it always is a concern when there's child abuse and if there's not that one person or a counselor or an advocate or somebody, a coach, um, that they will repeat the cycle or have lifelong issues. So you have to deal with different types of psychological things like insanity, split personality, and a lot of things. So what are the steps or the measures that you take? So how do you deal with them? One. Second is, on your part, how do you keep yourself safe from them? I used to work for a mental health clinic when I was in my 20s, early 20s. That was when, and they don't call them split personality anymore, it's more like uh, DID, which is dissociative identity disorder or different type of personality disorder, which is very severe if not medicated. In that population, uh, safety is always number one. What we used to do is always making sure that they have like a caregiver or they have somebody who is looking after them and their money um, if they're having a safe place to live. And then people who notice, like for my clients, I would notice if they were on their medication or not based on how they did their makeup. Um, if the makeup was uh, drawn and kind of looking kind of clown-ish, I knew that they were not on their medicine and they were not okay. But if I knew that it kind of, everything looked natural, that they were okay. Uh, doing home visits, I knew if I walked into a home and one of my clients, if her house smelled like just reeked of Clorox bleach, I knew that she was having a episode and she was not on her medicine. But if it smelled very normal, like she was cooking, she was on her medicine, she was okay. Um, so just having somebody noticing those things and keeping safe when when you're not on medication. Um, so that means identifying when your appointments are, how often they are, if you're missing them, trying to figure out why you're missing them and get them in as soon as possible or they'll have a major episode. And for myself, self-care is always number one. No matter when I worked there, which I didn't realize what self-care was back then because I was so young, but the older I am now, it's just like you have to be able to keep yourself safe and whenever you feel like your consciousness is telling you, you don't need to do this, you don't need to be somewhere, then don't go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's been many times where I have uh, done home visits in the past and I had to call 
the police just to make sure if they could escort me onto a property. I still tell people where I'm going, you know, if I'm going somewhere that I'm just kind of iffy or it's new, I will still text them and say, hey, I am going to be at this address. If you don't hear from me in the next hour, call me. <laughs> As a female, you got to do it. So if there, are, there must be a lot of homicide cases also which uh, comes to you. In U.S., juvenile homicide occur in which part of U.S. mostly? It's all over. And I think all over they've seen an increase in juvenile crime. I, I know in my city we had a lot of kids last year that were made national news for different things that they were doing uh, for the killings of a young man who was a, um, a musician. He's a musician and they were trying to steal his car and he, he saw him and thought, you know, these little kids, they're 12, 13 years old. One of them, I think, is 11. And he was like, no, I'm not giving you my car. And they shot him. They shot him to death. So um, that made national news and, and that kind of put a radar on juvenile crime. And it's not new. It's not new whatsoever. No matter where you go in the United States, it's not new. But I think some of the repeat crimes people are seeing, you know, if if somebody shoots somebody today, let's go back in their history and see how many times they've been arrested before or they were runaways. Um, and why isn't it, you know, when they were 10 to 11 years old and they were assaulting their teacher, why didn't they get help then? You know, what was going on? What was the loophole? What did we miss? So and to this point where they are now suspects for a murder, you know, a homicide. So where did we miss it? So it's it, it's all over. It's all over the United States. And I think people are trying to figure out. So does juvenile victimization vary by age? Mm -mm, no, all mm -mm. uh, zero to 18. And we truly, even though at 18 years old, legally you're no longer a juvenile, so we'll say zero to 17. But in counseling, we really feel as though 18 to 24 is still the age of adolescence because the brain is still growing. Uh, so victimization at between 18 and 24 still happens, but you're technically uh, uh, not a minor anymore but your your brain again is still growing and still processing information and it will still process information sometimes like as if you're 12. it does not vary whatsoever age or, or sex it, it does not it does not vary it, it, it's from zero to 17. like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So take us through a case study where you almost leave hope that it will not come up, but ultimately some passion ignites and you have succeeded in doing the job of yours. I don't go into anything with the idea that there's no hope. Okay, because if I go in thinking there's no hope, then I don't understand why I'm there. So I think everything has hope to it. Every single thing. 
I don't work harder than my clients ever. I've done that before, that was my mistake in my 20s, and you will burn yourself out as a counselor or a case manager or an advocate. There's always some strength in the matter. There's always something that children do or even adults do that are functional, that got them to where they are right now, and this is the reason why they do what they do. Whether that is a negative thing or a positive thing, but want to get to the root of it. And I say, let's see, a case study I would say would be uh, a kid I had years ago. A regular kid, just in a very small town, very rural, in a situation where he steals some stuff and has these unhealthy relationships with his friends because his friends are criminals. Uh, so in that situation, he got into multiple situations. But at the end of the day, once we started working with him um, and creating like a treatment plan for him and what all his goals, his support, he got his family involved and teaching them about making healthy choices or even um, how, to, how to find healthy relationships and friendships, what makes them healthy for you. Uh, we started to see growth in him because at the time he was 16 years old, he lost his mom and he was a twin and he lost his twin. Has had a significant amount of losses in his little 16 year old life. And we didn't know that when you come, when a kid comes and all you see is their case notes, you don't get the backstory and every kid has a backstory. And again, you don't come into a situation where you have no hope because kids pick up on that. If you don't have hope, they're not gonna have hope. Um, but I would say in his situation, he was able to um, graduate from high school. He was able to, and he had A's and B's when he graduated from high school. He was on a soccer team for high school, had never been on any soccer team, anything had never been making any good grades, was not going to school. But after we started working with him, he graduated high school. He signed up for the army, went to Afghanistan, had two tours of, uh, of duty, um, got married, had a couple of kids. So, you know, he was able to, to bounce back from all the losses and all the trauma that he experienced as a young person. So that was one of those things that that and I still love his kid to this day and this has been he's like 30 now so <laughs> but that's one of my case studies tell us three strengths of yours along with three weaknesses of yours as a therapist my three strengths I would say are um, usually people feel very comfortable with me on first meet so uh, and, and I I adore that because at one time I knew I didn't feel comfortable with a lot of people at being a teen. I did not. So I valued that in myself, that people feel comfortable around me to be able to emote and communicate. I think the second strength is that I am a counselor, but I'm also very spiritual and I can think, have a counselor brain and then I have spiritual brain. Um, and I would say my third strength would be 
just being open to different experiences and flexible. Let's see, my weaknesses, I'm not very structured. I am not a structured therapist whatsoever. I've never been, that's why I can't be an elementary school teacher or a middle school teacher, because I, uh, they are very structured. I cannot work like that. I'm not very organized. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I have to have other people with their very organized brains help me. Um, I think that I'm not the most academic uh, therapist. A lot of people are very, um, they have theories already in their heads that they go to and they can academically explain it to you. And that's not me. I don't know if that's a weakness, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> but that's something that I'm learning a little bit more with supervision and uh, I think I've grown in the past year when it comes to brain development and uh, child development in those elements. Suppose you are giving therapy to a client of yours and you found out that client is basically a criminal. Do you inform the cops? Well, for me, I am, if it's not, if it, now if it's something that is harmful for other people, I have to tell. I mandate it. So if it's harmful for anybody else and I know about it, that's where, and that's an understanding. People know that, that that's where we breach confidentiality. Um, so if you don't want me to say anything, you want me to know anything, you don't say it. So what do you consider the three most important character which a therapist should have? I think not being not being rigid so I guess the opposite of being rigid <laughs> that just being flexible and knowing that counseling doesn't always go your way you can have all the plans in the world and set it up but then there can be curveballs all the time some people have a big ego and their ego will go in front of them in a therapy session like I know everything I can solve your problems and it doesn't work like that. So just being open to the fact like you don't, you're not the expert over their life. I guess humble, being humble, that's the word for it. And meeting people where they are um, and celebrating with them their progress, no matter how small it is, but celebrating them, always bringing out their strengths. Um, I think, let's see, the other one is, don't take anything too personally. <laughs> so, uh, just so being able to adjust. So the psychology of a kid varies from the psychology of a full grown up adult person. Yes. So how do you differentiate this psychology? Because if a psychology is into juvenile crime, then that kid's psychology play in a different role altogether. So how do you differentiate that? We have to always think about, again, brain development. Brain development is from the time you're conceived all the way to the time you're 24 years old. We think that, because we have adult brains, we think that children should think the way adults think and they cannot do it whatsoever. Although they have done some juvenile or they have done some adult crimes, their brain is not there yet. So they don't think about all of the consequences. They don't think about all the things that could happen wrong because their their executive functioning is not there yet. It has not grown yet. 
Um, not only has it not grown yet, they probably haven't been taught yet. Um, and with adults, they may or may not know again or have some mental health illness that uh, affects the way they think. There are times where adults are could be 42 years old, but mentally they're 12 years old due to various type traumas, or they might have a mental health illness. Uh, I've dealt with many adults that, I, that are fully grown and have children of their own, but at 12 years old, they were either raped or had some significant issue at a young age and they stayed that age. They did not get past um, mentally, spiritually, socially, they did not get past a certain age. And it shows in how they raise their children and how they problem solve. Even though it's different, the brain has developed, but uh, basically they don't mentally or socially or emotionally grow past a certain age due to traumas, but their psychology is different. One's brain is still growing and the other one has stopped growing, but can regress. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So uh, if somebody has done any crime uh, during his uh, childhood days and then this, he has passed on those things and all. So how do the society accept? It, it all depends. Society is so contradictory you know it it depends on the mood for that day it depends on how much people are educated uh especially if you're looking at social media and people has a have an opinion for everything there's grace it depends on what they look like if it's a woman or if it's a man or if it's white or if it's black or you know all the in between it just depends you know some people give mercy but it, it depends on the crime you know so if it's a petty crime or something versus so heinous crime like a mass shooting or a rape you know people don't go to they're not too compassionate about those type things but if it's like a stealing or something like that you're stealing to be hungry yeah they might be a little bit more compassionate but i doubt it <laughs> So now tell us something about your podcast. You are into podcasting also. Yes, I am into podcasting. I have two podcasts. I started uh, hashtag Get Naked Therapist. Uh, Get Naked Therapist. I started August, uh, not August, so July 1st of last year. And uh, it is all about the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of this field that we love so much. And I spell it um, a different way because naked is N-E-C-K-I-D. And basically it's like we require our clients to get their checkup from the neck up. And we need to do that for ourselves as well. And the ID part is um, while we're doing what we do, we have to find out what our ID or our niche is so we can be happy in what we're doing. So that's where Get Naked Therapist comes from. Um, and being transparent in our experiences. So many times we feel isolated or we feel like we were the only ones that took five plus years to get licensed or, you know, we're the only ones that get stuck uh, trying to help people out and not having the answers, you know, freaks us out sometimes, but it happens to all of us and people really just need to know that um, the, the suffering parts, the good parts and all of that. So that's one, um, 
one of my podcasts, and then the other one is Surviving Sibling Loss, the Forgotten Mourners podcast, because I lost my brother. Um, There was no podcast out there for Surviving Siblings. Um, I was young when it happened. I was 14, and my brother had cancer, so it was very isolating for me as a young person. And it's just isolating for even older older people, you know, or people who have more siblings. I only had just him. Uh, but it's a support, you know. It's right now. It's just my voice on there. But um, I have a I had a couple of guests on there to talk about their siblings and grief and what that looks like. And although you know people have come in, they have listened. I'm hoping to grow it just a little bit more in the future. So those are my two podcasts. So what are the challenges you faced so far as a therapist in your journey? Um, the challenge is not getting paid enough. Um, <laughs> you're doing you're doing a lot of work and you have nothing to show for it. And it took a long time to have something to show for your work. Uh, on call is hard work. Being on call and being called in the middle of the night, you know, because somebody decides they don't want to go to bed. They they want to sit out in the grass at three o'clock in the morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sit with them. Um, just having to deal with all of that and pulling your hair out and trying to make a better world and you get paid $2 an hour. So, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, having student loans. And you're like, is it really worth it? You know, or is it really worth it? And so I would say that was the biggest challenge. And, you know, Understandably, they take us through hoops and internships and all these different things. And in my license, which is a licensed professional counselor, all over the 50 states, it's different of how you get your LPC. Now, while we're not uniformed in all the states, I have no idea. So it's very muddy uh, how you get your license. But when it comes to the license for social work, all 50 states are the same. So all the requirements that you need is the same so they know what they need to do. But for LPCs, it is not the same wherever you go. It's different. If I moved to California, I would have to take extra classes. I would have to redo like a few things and pay more money. So I'm not moving to California anytime soon. So. It was enough, enough, it's enough. <laughs> so those are those are some of the challenges, you know, and nonprofit life is not really the best life for a counselor. It's truly not. From your childhood days till now, if you look back, so how do you relate your journey? You know, if this were like a couple of years ago, I would rate it very low. <laughs> but you caught me at a good time. I would say, we'll see, a scale from 1 to 10. Okay, we'll do 1 to 10. 10 being the great, 1 being the worst. I would say I am very blessed, and I'm around, I would say, a 7 or 8. There's room for improvement. But I would say 7 or 8, more around the 8, because I'm very grateful for everything that I have, and all my family's healthy and safe and all that stuff. So I would say from childhood to now, even through all the challenges, I would take them, I would take them all over again, just to be right here in this moment. So who are the three most influential person in your life? 
my mother, my dad, and oh, the third one is a tie. But my grandmother, she is not no longer with us, but she is very influential still. So what makes you laugh no matter what? I'm a laughy person all the time. Uh, I say I don't take things seriously because there's a lot of stuff that you have to take seriously. So I don't take a lot of stuff seriously. I kind of let things roll off my back. But my best friend is somebody who, if I was taking myself too seriously, she would let me know that I need to calm down. And she she jokes and she's one of those people that makes me laugh in the drop of a dime. So yeah, I would say that's what keeps me. my good support systems that's what keeps me together how do you handle your stress oh i'm trying to work on that every day so podcasting has helped me with my stress levels okay now although it's a lot of work it's a lot of work you know it's a lot of work oh <laughs> it's like good work it's so creative like your mind is just going off and being so creative And if I'm not able to be creative, I get bored and I don't want to get bored. So, it's I'm able to kind of like think what's next, what do I need to do? So, podcasting has become one of those things. Bike riding, singing, writing actually, talking on the phone, um a lot of Facebook. Um and um yeah, just trying to figure out how I can grow in podcast. That that has been my help. the past year like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support now back to the show so once you are telling that you are into writing also so is uh, can i see that a book is published in near future covid and then after covid's over then we have adequate mental health services and adequate medical services for everybody i think that um food service adequate food services for people if if you can't get to a grocery store having a community community um gardens and things like that Uh, we know that in certain neighborhoods they don't have uh, adequate grocery stores, so um, and that affects our kids too. Because you know they go to Dollar General and get, fry, you know, all this junk food, and that doesn't help with learning. Um, and then the United States has an issue with how much education costs. So lowering the cost of education. or at least taking student loans and not having interest loans on them you know interest on them that's what makes them so expensive um so i think those some of the things that we could start with you know if i were to paint you know and then get rid of all the evil people you know paint a big brush all the mean people and racist people get out so 
Yeah. So, what are the safety measures that you would recommend that people should take? So, as a female, uh, always letting people know where you are. Uh, well, not you know always because you don't want people always tracking you. But at the same time, I you know iPhones have trackers on them. And there's certain people in my life that I give permission to have that on me just in case um, so they can check in on me. And I think always having some type of protection on you, you know, whether that's females have a gun ownership or, you know, some type of pepper spray mace or batons, you know, <laughs> something of that regard. Even men really should. And just being watchful, I think I had this conversation with my dad not too long ago. Because, um, you know, people are very nice. Some people are very nice. And they can be make themselves be victims of crime. You know, certain things in certain places. Even though you're a man, you really shouldn't go, you know, in certain places. And if somebody's approaching you in a certain way, don't involve yourself in certain things, you know? If you feel like it's not a right situation, just making sure that you are not involving yourself when you feel like your conscience is telling you, hey, get in your car and go. Um, so always listening to that. Even as a child, I taught um, one of my clients about there's something that's embedded in us, uh, in everybody. Um, and if it's not there, then something's wrong. That has you thinking, I might not need to do this. And that voice is what keeps us safe. So just listening to that inner intuition that will keep us safe and just being vigilant. You know, not overly vigilant, but you know, just being aware. So if you step into my shoes, what I haven't asked you so far? Um, my goodness. Where did you get these questions from? Because <laughs> <laughs> seems like you have these really good questions. I think right now what we're going through in the United States uh, is a climate that in 2020, we've had the COVID, but we've had lots of protests uh, about equity and about police, police brutality and um, naming the individuals who have been um, killed by the police, um, unarmed. And we're going through a lot in this country. And I think that there's hope. Again, I'm one of those hopeful people. I think that there's hope in 2020 that we've had, we have not seen in a very long time. Um, because we have Generation Z, which I'm counting on very well, Generation Z who are renegades, like they are doing stuff, you know, online that nobody else has had, you know, nobody else did and nobody else thought about. Gen Z is on top of some things that we never thought about. And it's funny to me because they are actually thinking, you know, they're thinking and they know that they are a part of something bigger than what we give them credit for. You know, and I'm an older millennial and a lot of people don't give us credit for a lot of things. But I'm going to say to Z right now that I'm giving them credit so far because in my town, four girls, I was like four or six girls, they were under the age of 16 years old and they planned 
a protest, a peaceful protest that had 10,000 people in the downtown area and it was peaceful and they planned it. They're young people. So you had grown people that didn't plan that well, you know, and it didn't come out peaceful. So that's something that I think just to wrap up where we where we have been here in the southern states and all over the United States. But definitely, I think there's some hope in some changes, you know, in the future or for the future. So I'm hopeful for that. So what are the changes this COVID has brought in your life? Oh, gosh, I'm working from home and uh, doing virtual groups and telehealth. And um, I haven't been able to travel, which I don't like that. And um, I haven't been able to see my parents as much as I want to, although they do they do not care. They're like, hey, you coming over? <laughs> they don't care. They have not, they don't care. So I guess if we go down, we're going down together. So <laughs> um, I think that there's times where I want to see some people. I want to, you know, hug on some people and I can't do it. I want to go see my best friend who's about two and a half hours away. And, but I want to keep her safe. But, um, I want to travel for my birthday and I can't do that. But I think at the end of the day, you kind of wake up and you're like, okay, I'm healthy. We can get to those things later one day. You know, we'll try to do what we can do and then not worry about other stuff. So um, that's where we are. I haven't been to church in, since March, but online church is good and a lot more people are going to church online so i think that's a good thing but i think those are all the pop you know positives and negatives about covid but i'm just thankful every day that i'm okay any message for my audience um let's see love each other be kind to people eat well sleep well be kind to yourself um, if you see something that is discriminatory, be a voice for people, be an advocate, be an advocate for yourself um, and for those who cannot speak for themselves either. So I would say that would be my wrap up. <laughs> Thank you. It was a nice talking to you. Thank you. joining us this week don't forget to subscribe us on any platform be it anchor.fm spotify google podcast apple podcast geo seven cast box etc also tell your friend family members and enemies about the show be sure to tune in next week for another new episode myself shoman Gupta signing off not before saying all dreams can come true provided you have the courage to pursue them My name is KG. I just finished listening to Chase Your Dreams podcast, which is a podcast about positivity, storytelling, about people's overcoming many obstacles in their life. And I feel like if you're feeling down and unmotivated, this is a podcast you need to tone into. It has so many things to keep you motivated, so many positivities, stories, and 
you should never give up on your dreams. So go and listen to Chase Your Dream broadcast. Thank you. I would like to thank my listeners for listening to my podcast. And I'm also recommending the listeners to listen to the podcast of my fellow podcaster, Nafisa Nazni. The name of our podcast is Basics to Bloom. This podcast will enlighten you to look at things in a different way and will guide you to transform yourself to the better version for Basics to Bloom. Her podcast is available in all major platforms, be it Apple, Spotify, Google, and obviously Anchor.fm. Do remember to check her out. The name of her podcast is Basics to Bloom. Thank you.